Uh, today we are in Romans 1, 17. So if you could remain standing with me as we read that passage. And I was just like, when do I stand? When do I sit down? Just stand up when we read God's word. That's all you need to know, okay? Romans 1, uh, verses 16 and 17, they say this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You may be seated. Um, so, uh, like I said, I am the student pastor here at Emmanuel, and I'm glad to have this opportunity to be in front of you this morning. I don't take it lightly. I know I joke around a lot, and that's kind of just my personality, but also uh, part of the joking is because I'm, I'm nervous, and so that happens. Uh, that's kind of how I cope with things, and so if I make too many jokes today, I apologize, but um, here's what uh, I want our focus to be today. You'll notice there's no verses or words on the screens. In your worship guide, there's a, a piece of paper that on the top of it every week it says sermon notes, and some of us use that to, you know, draw or play tic-tac-toe with our neighbor. No, that doesn't happen here, right? We don't do that. Um, but what I want you to do today is really just, I want you to have your Bible, and I want you to have that piece of paper. And then as God communicates something in your life, I just want you to write that down. So I don't really have an outline. I mean, I do have an outline that I could uh, put up there. But man, I really just want our focus today to be a little bit different, that uh, we take these next moments uh, to just kind of stop and take a step back and break from what's typically our routine here um, because you have a different speaker this morning and this is a different kind of um, experience for you and, and some of you guys have never heard me speak before and so um, I just want this to be something that feels a little bit new today. Uh, and so that's why there's no, like I said, no words on the screen. You don't have to worry about missing any blanks or anything like that. Um, so um, yeah, I am the uh, student pastor here. I love doing what I get to do. I've also been married to my wife, Christy, for uh, nine years. I'm also the father of two toddlers, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. So my life is uh, very, very interesting and very, very uh, crazy at times. And uh, so, you know, what I've learned in being a father for as little amount of time as I have, and I know this changes when they get older, right? But um, my kids are really, really good at telling me what they need and simultaneously having no idea what the definition of the word need means, right? So they, uh, in our house, like one thing that is always said is, Daddy, I need a snack, I need a snack constantly. So we eat breakfast. 15 minutes later, my four-year-old, Daddy, I need a snack. I'm sorry, what did we just do? We just ate. You don't need a snack, right? So, Daddy, I need a snack. After lunch, 15 minutes later, Daddy, I need a snack. Or we have dinner, and so my wife or I will make dinner, and they don't like the dinner, so they won't eat it. And then 10 minutes later, Daddy, I need a snack. No, you need to eat your dinner, you know. And so that's what I'm saying. They, they're very good at telling me what they need and very, very bad at understanding what the word need actually means. Uh, like another example is like you give, I don't know if your kids are like this or were when they were little, you give them, you know, juicers or milk or something in the yellow cup and they need the purple cup. What happened to you? Just me then, right? And so it's like, no, you don't need the other color cup. You want the other color cup. Cup. And, and the most hilarious moments for me is like when one of my kids tells me what the other kid needs. Because my oldest is four, right? So it's not like she really, but I have, this happened to me before I walk into my kitchen. My two-year-old is on the floor like screaming and crying. And I walk into the situation and maybe this happened to you before too. And you say, 
And, and I said this out loud. I said, I have no idea what's happening. I have no idea what's happening. Two-year-old screaming, crying on the floor. I said, you know, Emily, what do you need? And she just tears. There's just no form of communication. And this is what little kids do. They want something and they forget to communicate it. Or they're just too little so they don't know how to do that. Or they want something and their mind changes and they expect you to just pick up on that. Some, somehow, somehow, you just pick up on that. I don't know how. I haven't figured that out yet. If you figure that out, let me know. Um, but my two-year-old screaming, crying on the floor. My four-year-old, in her infinite wisdom, looks up at me and she says, Daddy, she wants cheese. I'm like, oh, okay. Do you, now, my kids like to eat the squares of cheese. Like, is that weird? It's weird, right? Uh, and so, yeah, you can judge me. That's okay. My, but they like that. And so, uh, she went, and so I, sure enough, uh, get to the fridge. I take out that piece of cheese. I give it to her. And she just, thank you, Daddy. You know, so, and, so, and that's, you know, like I said, the most entertaining points in my life are when they're telling me what the other person needs because sometimes I'm just uh, clueless. And so, in reality, my, uh, my kids, you know, they don't need a snack. You know, they don't need the cup they're asking for. They don't need, um, you know, whatever it is that they perceive to need. When we go to the store, like my wife and I, we're not, we're not shoppers, we're hunters. Does that make sense? Like, I need milk, I'm getting milk. Like, don't make me walk around the store for an hour because, like, I was raised by a woman that made me do that, and so now I don't do that. Um, so I'm a hunter, and a gatherer, I am not a shopper. And so if we walk around the store for too long with my kids, again, we're more aware of what they need, right? I need this toy. I need this thing. I need this whatever. And so we can laugh about that, but like my kids' deepest needs are more like to hear the word no, you know? <laughs> my kids' deepest needs are to like eat things that are nutritious and not macaroni and cheese every meal. You know, my kids' deepest needs are for me to be a provider of structure and discipline and to teach them how to grow up to be decent people. You know, that, that is what they need. Now, they don't perceive to need that. They don't understand when they get in trouble that there's a reason for that. They need to be in trouble. Uh, and we can look at little kids and say, yeah, that's kind of funny and tell those stories, but man... Here's what I believe about us, that as we get older, we just get better at just justifying what we want and convincing ourselves that that's what we need. Um, and so we do the same thing with, I need that new car. I need that different job. I need a better relationship. I need, man, if this person just wasn't around, like that's what I need, them to go away, right? And it's not that you need those things, it's that you want those things. And, and the problem with that is um, that oftentimes when we do that, who becomes the center? It's, it's not God, it's us. And so if we're at the center, that's very problematic for us because if everything we do is just because we want to or because we feel like doing it, then we get ourselves in really, really bad situations. Like take, for example, if I convince myself that I need a new car and I can't afford a new car, I can put my family into a very compromising, difficult position by going out today and buying a car. I, you know, I could put my the well-being of my family, 
I could ruin different relationships in my life, not just by that one example, but by any example. Oh, I don't feel like doing that today. I don't feel like helping you with this. I don't feel like, and, and the result of that is always that we, we break something. And so in, whether that's our physical circumstances or our spiritual circumstances, like we're very, very good at telling God what we need, aren't we? God, I just need more time. God, I just need more money. God, I just need more friends. God, I need better friends. God, I need, you know, you to fix my marriage because my spouse is crazy. Now, I've never said that before. But, uh, you know, God, I just need you to do this. God, I need you to do that. And so um, when we convince ourselves that our wants are actually needs, uh, we really prevent ourselves from perceiving what God defines our needs to be. I mean, take, for example, this morning. Uh, your deepest need today was not to get here on time. Uh, your deepest need today, and sometimes I know it feels that way. Like I said, I have two toddlers, so you're running around the house, and you're like, where is the big one? Where is, you know, you like get the backpack ready, you get the stuff. Where did I put that? Where, where's the fire extinguisher? Why is there a fork in the toaster? Like, what is going on? And so you're, where, where's, I know I put pants on you. Like, what happened? Um, you know, your deepest need is not this morning to get to church on time. If you're a life group leader, your deepest need this morning is not to teach a good lesson. My deepest need this morning is not to impress you. Uh, with what I say up here today, because ultimately, as I prayed at the beginning, this is not what I believe I'm coming up with and presenting to you, but something that I believe that God's word deeply impresses upon each of our lives and is important for every single one of us. Our deepest need is not to survive day to day. Our deepest need is not more money. Our deepest need is not better relationships. Our deepest need is what we've been talking about, guys, the last several weeks. Our deepest need is now and will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our deepest need is now and will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, sometimes in pursuing those good things in our life, like we, it's not bad to set goals, it's not bad to desire things or to improve your circumstances, but sometimes when we focus so much on those things, again, it prevents us from seeing what our deepest needs are. And like I said, our deepest need is the gospel. Look at Romans 1.17 again. He says, uh, and a very interesting phrase here, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel in verse 16. Skip ahead to verse 17. It says, for in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. Or some translations will say by faith for faith. And so what happens for us as believers is we believe that the gospel like becomes this entry point of initial, like initially where we get to know Jesus Christ. We go to, like, I was nine years old. I went to a play in my church. I came to realize I wasn't personally a Christian. So that, the gospel for me at that point became just an entryway. Like, it's the key that unlocks the door. And initially, I submit my life to that, and it feels fantastic, and everything goes really well until I sin again. Um, and so when he says that the righteousness of God is revealed by faith, that's that initial point of submission for us. It's good. It's great. We need that, absolutely, and Christians get behind that, and we preach that. You need the gospel. You need Jesus, but because we are so used to what we do in church, and because we've been doing this for so long, like I said, I've been a Christian since I was nine, 21 years I've been a believer, and I know that like, you know, half of that, I was a teenager, so it doesn't really count, right, but, uh, you know, it's not that I have, I have not figured this out, you know, I have not figured out how to master my sin. I have not figured out how to live righteously at every moment of every day. 
that my life is not completely in submission to him all the time, and neither is yours. And so that is why our deepest need is now and will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how long we've known Christ or how many years we've been a member at Emmanuel or how many ministries we serve in or how many hours we help people or all the tasks. Like your deepest need is not more activity. Your deepest need is Jesus Christ. So uh, what we want to look at today, and we're going to go through the book of Psalms. So if you want to kind of thumb over to, to Psalms, that's where we're going to go through. I know I'm not giving you a starting point, but I'm just telling you that's where we're going to be. Man, we, we need to be constantly, we look at three things today, constantly reminded of the depth of our sin, constantly reminded of our great need for a Savior, uh, and constantly reminded and driven to deep, meaningful worship because the hope that God and God alone provides in our life. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down as the first point. These needs we have that the gospel provides. Needs we have that the gospel provides. It helps us recognize our brokenness. That's number one. So when we go through a gospel presentation, this is the A. A, admit to God that you're a sinner, right? Uh, and we as Christians, we look at that like, I've done that. I'm good. Uh, and, I, I, you know, there's this uh, spirit behind churches and, and, and just the way that Christianity can be sometimes in me. There's, it's a little bit unsettling. The way that we talk about sin, uh, the perception of sin that we have, uh, that, that we, we act like sin is like a club, right? Well, we're all sinners, you know. And we're pretty nonchalant about it. Well, sinners going to sin, you know. I can't, you know, can't be different. This is who I am. Or we treat it almost like, you know, when my, when my kids fall down in the dirt and get something on their hands, and we just say, yeah, just wipe it off, you know. We say a word we shouldn't say. We talk about somebody behind their back. We do something that breaks God's perfect law and perfect plan for us. And we're just like, I ah, just pray and wipe that off, you know. And the Bible pre- presents a, 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 very, a very different picture of sin in our life. And not just the lives of unbelievers, but but our life, I mean, look at how the Bible speaks of sin in 1 John 1, 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we do not practice the truth. Sin is darkness, that it destroys Galatians chapter 6. Let the one who is taught in the word share all good things, and the one who teaches do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap, for the one who sows in the flesh will also reap corruption, but the one who sows from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Sin is darkness, that it is a deep sense of corruption that completely destroys everything about us if we let it. It is not something that we just wipe off. It is not something that we should be quick to move past, and it is not something that we should just accept and move on. And as a believer, you are in the best place when you are mining the depths of your sin by the Spirit of God coming to realize who you are and seeking desperately for God to change you from that condition. Look at Psalm 51. This is after uh, David sins with Bathsheba and he's confronted and he writes Psalm 51. And, and, and what, I, I don't, what I don't want us to look at this as today is like, oh, well, he committed adultery. You know, I mean, that's a big one. You know, I'm sorry, this is what I'm trying to convey to you today. Every sin is a big one. Every single one. Every single day, we are presented with opportunities to choose God or choose other. 
and left to ourselves, we will always choose other because that is our nature and that is a huge deal. And so whether it's in something that you perceive to be small or whether it's in something that someone else does that you perceive to be huge, sin has enormous consequences in our life, even as believers. And in Psalm 51, we see how David feels the enormity of his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and according to your abundant mercy. Again, listen to how he talks about his sin. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Can you say this morning that you spent this past week considering how your sin is affecting your life day to day? Because the truth is, unless it's leading us into a sense of crisis or tragedy, many of us just dismiss it. Like, yeah, I made a mistake. Oh, well, whatever. And yet, our mentality should be David's mentality that my sin is always before me, that I can't move on to the next thing until I repent of that sin and genuinely seek to have God come into my heart and change me into a different person. Because again, that is what I most deeply need. It is not to have more money or to be more popular or to have more friends or to achieve more at my job. It's not to lose weight. It's not to be more in shape. It is not. Your deepest need at the center of who you are is to recognize your sin day in and day out and your status as a sinner and in rebellion against God. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That doesn't sound very neutral to me. That doesn't sound like it's not a big deal to me. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin, and my mother could see me. Behold, you delight in the truth in my inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Again, getting back to how he addresses sin and where he is, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy, or let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. That is how David feels about his sin brokenness, and then appeals to God in those next few verses, create in me a clean heart, admitting there is nothing clean in me, so I need you to create that, begin that in me, and then renew a right spirit within me, cast me not away from your presence, because that's what we deserve. He says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. See, sin for us is not uh, just wiping the dirt off of our skin. In high school, I got to play sand volleyball, and you guys that play sand volleyball with me, you all collectively snicker at this moment, because you know that, like, uh, I really enjoy sand volleyball, and every Sunday night after church, we would go as a youth group and just play with other churches, and uh, we'd play three or four games on a Sunday night, and then I'd go home, and it'd be late, and um, the thing about, like, sand uh, and sand volleyball is it just, like, gets everywhere, right? Like, here, and, and especially if you play like I play, which is just, like, all out. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, I dive at stuff, you know? I'm, like, jumping after stuff. I get on to people, like, why didn't you get that? You know, because I was fired up, you know? Uh, and you play sand volleyball, and you're, like, you're just covered. I mean, it's all over. I'd drive home. I'd have sand in my, in my hands. 
and they had a you know hose there, and you could wash that. But then there's still it'd be on my arms, and like I'd be driving home, I'd be like, how in the world did I just and you know, basically I was rolling in it, so I get that, like, it's just everywhere, but then I get home, and I would uh, just put my legs in the bathtub, and just uh, take my shoes and socks off, and just kind of, you know, scrub or whatever, and you know what I noticed is that, like, I never, it would take all the way until the next Saturday to really, truly get just all the sand just gone, like, it would, you know, so when we consider sin, it's not just, like, falling down in the dirt, it's really this, again, this complete state of corruption that is brought about that affects every part of us. Um, and that we like to convince ourselves that we can isolate the things that we're doing wrong. We can compartmentalize and kind of, you know, this is my sin, but here's my job, all right? This is my sin, and then this is my family. But sin affects all of that. And to convince ourselves otherwise is really to do ourselves an incredible disservice. And the, the reality in, in coming to recognize how deeply we sin and how deeply it affects us should drive us then, secondly, to desperately, desperately pursue God and his salvation. To desperately pursue God and his salvation. Again, uh, our perception of salvation is much like our perception of sin. Uh, if we've been Christians for any length of time, we know that uh, you know, the way that this is often packaged and told to us is that this is a free gift. And I don't know how you handle free gifts, but I know how I handle free gifts. And if, you know, if I sign up for something like here at the church, we have an Aflac representative that'll come in. And so they'll say, oh, you sign up for term life insurance or something. And, you, and what do you get? You get the term life insurance, but you also get like this little duck. You know, he's this little duck keychain, and you, you know, you touch him. What does he say? Aflac, right? And so, Aflac. And then if you do it, it's just Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. It's pretty obnoxious. Anyways, um, <laughs> I get that, and I think, oh, I'll give this to my kids, you know? And then I give it to them. And then I don't know if you have dogs, but my dogs don't play well with my kids' toys. Like, they're just not easy on them. And so if I take the Aflac dog home, and the dog gets it, I'm just kind of like, oh, well. Because why? Because it was free. Uh, if you work on your car, so you get oil in your garage, and you're like, oh, I need a rag, and you find a free t-shirt, do you hesitate to use that free t-shirt to wipe up that mess? No, because it was free. It's free. And the second way that we often treat salvation is like, it's, just, it's always available. And that's, that's not wrong, but the way that we think about it is. I mean, we treat salvation in Christ like we treat McDonald's, like it's always there. Like wherever you go, you can find a McDonald's. And it's not good, you know? You're never gonna eat a McDonald's and go, oh wow, this quarter pounder is amazing. Because it tastes just like the last quarter pounder you had, right? Or you're complaining because they didn't put cheese on it or whatever, it is, you know? So we just, and, and we treat salvation in Christ like we treat that, like it's always there. And because it's always there, it's not special. You know, that, that it never blows us away like it should. And that it never really affects our hearts the way that it should. Because why? Because it's free and because it's always there. And so, again, I want to take us through the book of Psalms and just, we're going to kind of go on this tour. If you start in Psalm 42, 1 and 2, I want you to notice how the psalmist describes salvation, that it is not just free and that it is not just available, but that it is rich and vivid and in light, that it is something that really affects the way these guys write to the core of who they are. Psalm 42, 1 and 2, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so 
pants my soul for you, O God, that my soul thirsts for God, the living God. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 8. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because of your stead, because your steadfast love is better than life. You see, when the gospel becomes our deepest need and we perceive it to be that way, then everything else fades. The importance of everything else fades away. That money becomes less important and that the status of your relationships becomes less important and that your career becomes less important and that everything else becomes less important because what does he say is better than life? God's steadfast love for us. And can you say, and can I say, that the way we live today as believers models a mentality where we believe that the steadfast love of God is better than anything that this life has to offer. Can we say that? sad the way most of us live out our day-to-day faith. It is sad the way that we treat our relationship with God. Skip ahead. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. One of my favorite verses in all scripture right there. That God is just like this spiritual buffet of all the best things that you could ever eat. And you're just like, I'm just going to pig out, you know. I'm not going to eat breakfast today so I can eat more plates, you know. Like that, that is how God is meant to be. That, that he's something that we continually return to, that we always hunger for. And I don't know where you lived before, but I've said this about myself. This is sad. I always, the thing that I always remember about my life and the places I've lived is the food. And I don't know if that just means I'm old because I hear that, but I'm just saying that I crave things that I can't have. You know, I crave Portillo's in Chicago. I crave Giordano's pizza in Chicago. Because they, we don't have those here. That's some of the best food you can eat. I crave, in Louisville, Kentucky, there's a restaurant that has a, a, a dish called the, the Burrito Al Carbone. And I'm not even kidding you. It is a burrito filled with chicken and sour cream sauce that is from my fingertips to my elbow. That is that long. And covered in white queso. And are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, when they brought that out to me the first time I ordered it, I was like, and who am I supposed to share this with, you know? Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that this was one of those kind of places where the whole table shares the plate. They're like, no, that's just for you. And I was like, oh. Um, and so, uh, uh, and, and you can't find that anywhere else. I've gone to other Mexican restaurants, order burrito, it's never the same. It's never the same. I don't even know if that place exists anymore, but I'm just saying that, that when, we, when I think about where I lived and meals that I've had, like they leave an impression on my stomach and then my soul yearns for that food again, you know? And so, um, but with the way that God has designed his relationship with us is that we would reach these points of hunger and appetite that we, we cannot go any length of time without yearning for his movement and activity in our life, in our heart. That he is meant to be enjoyed more than we enjoy rich food. He is meant to be enjoyed more than anything else, and I keep saying this, that anything else that this life can offer us, that it all pales in comparison to who he is. He says at the end there, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. 
Psalm 73, 23 through 26. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I, notice this, whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That is meant to be the perspective that we have in our relationship with God, that he is not just one thing in a long line of many things, but that he is everything that drives everything else. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 143, 6 to 10. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, for my spirit fails. Skip down. He says, make me know, make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Why, Guys, why why do we not have this experience with God on a regular basis? Why, why is this not our experience? Why is this not the way we feel this morning when we come into this place? I mean, stop and just, stop and just think. Like I said, just stop. And just consider you're hearing this for the first time. That your eternal life and eternal destiny is completely taken care of because of what Jesus Christ did for you. In John 19, before Jesus dies, he says three words, it is finished. Your eternal life is not the result of your feeling close to God. It is not the result of your abilities to serve him. It is not a result of anything that has to do with what you can do. But when Christ died on the cross, bearing your sin, bearing your punishment, he finished it. He finished what he started. It's done. And consider the enormous weight of that. That has huge implications for your life. It's finished. It doesn't matter what your attendance is. It doesn't matter how many ministries you serve in. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. The, The only thing that matters is what he did. It's done. And as much as our sin should drive us to a point of despair and realizing how wicked and rotten and corrupt we are, the work that Jesus Christ did for us should drive us to an even deeper and richer sense of joy and praise and adoration and awe and all of those things. That our experience in him because it is finished has enormous, enormous implications in our life. I mean, think about this. If all God ever did, if the deists and agnostics are right, that God is like a watchmaker, that he set everything in motion and he just steps back and watches. If, if, that, is the re- if that is reality, and that's not reality, but if that was reality and the only other thing that God ever did for you was send Jesus Christ to die on a cross to finish the work of atoning for your sin, that that would be enough to drive you, or should be enough, to drive you to living a life that is 
constantly spent in thankfulness and praise because of that one thing, the one thing. Enormous and huge implications for our life. If your perception of your life today is not that your biggest problem is your sin, then your focus is in the wrong place. And yet, look at what God did for you. And look at how these men who write these verses speak about their heart to God, that they long, that they thirst, that they are desperate, that they are earnestly seeking, that their heart and their flesh fail, but God is their strength and portion forever. That everything about their perspective is right, and oftentimes everything about our perspective is wrong. And again, so as much as the weight of our sin drives us to, to despair, the reality of salvation should drive us to this sense of hope. And so that's our third and final point this morning, that the gospel restores hope for us. And, and the sad thing is, this is, I think, a component that's missing for most of our lives, that um, we perceive hope as like always uh, being accompanied by a sense of happiness. And I don't think that has to be true. Uh, and that hope is just optimism. Like we can look at any situation and say, well, God's working it for my good. And again, that's true. But sometimes the way we think about that is not. That, that hope, guys, hope for us is, is much deeper than that. It is much, much richer than that. The reality of our hope is that it is confident and unshakable. That to people who are not believers, like our sense of hope should be obnoxious. I mean, look at this, Psalm 28, verse 8. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give him thanks. The Lord is, my strength. The, Lord is the strength of his people and he is saving refuge and the saving refuge of his anointed. That he is our strength. That he is our shield. Again, that it is finished. That it is all on him. That everything that we need has already been done. Psalm 43, uh, verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, and I shall again praise him for my salvation and my God. That, that he is, this is the psalmist telling his heart what to do. Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? And then he said, hope in God. Sometimes we need that to tell ourselves, just tell you, what should you do? Hope in God. Because if you put your hope in anything else, it will always disappoint you. Hope in God. Hope is realizing for us as believers that God has taken us from the single worst circumstance we will ever find ourselves in, in our sin, and delivered us to a greater place than we could ever deserve on our own. I debated sharing this story with you, and I hope, uh, I'm just going to do it. I just feel like I can't. I can't not say it, so I'm going to say it. Um, but um, last uh, Christmas, you know, I said earlier, we have two girls. Uh, last Christmas, we found out we were expecting a third child, and you do the math, we don't have three kids today. Um, in um, February, March, uh, we lost uh, that kid, and, and so I don't know if you've ever been in that situation before, uh, where you go to a doctor's office, and you're, you and your wife are in a point of just like, um, I don't know what to expect here. Uh, I, you know, you're hoping for the best, but again, you, you, don't, you don't really know what's going to happen. 
And um, you know that the sonogram technician wants to find that heartbeat. And you know that you and your wife want to hear a heartbeat. And you sit in there through three different tests and there's no heartbeat. And so then they take you back. I don't know if you know this, but the doctors have a back hallway, a secret hallway, that you get to go down when something like that happens. And, um, you know, just, just in experiencing that loss, I mean, some of you guys knew that about me, you knew that about us. And, um, you know, my, my deepest need in, in those moments was not, um, you know, even knowing what to say, you know, to my wife or knowing how to handle that. It, was, um, it wasn't, you know, the meals that some of you guys brought us, although that was great. Wasn't the prayers that you prayed for us? Though those things, yeah, I need those. But but most desperately, what what did I need? I needed to be pointed to the reality um, that God already saved me from something much much worse, and that and that that didn't destroy me, and so this doesn't have to destroy me. And, and that that's what I needed. And I didn't find that. You know, I didn't find that right away, um, but, but I came to it. And, um, and so, again, I've been a Christian 21 years, and what did I need in that moment? I needed the gospel. And I needed to face the reality that God has bigger plans for me than I have for myself. And, and if God truly is our greatest hope, then uh, he demands our greatest attention. He, de- he deserves most of our time. He deserves most of our thoughts, that he deserves Everything that we can give is, 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 he deserves all of it. Because he is our hope. It's not my ability to improve my circumstances. It's not my ability to say the right thing or do the right thing. It is, it is all on him. Just as Jesus said in John 19, it, it, is, it is finished. And so as we close today, I just want to remind us of this, that the gospel is our greatest need because it points us to the greatest thing about us, which is Jesus Christ. But the greatest thing about us is, is what he did and not, not what we do. And so in this, the gospel shapes everything that we do. When we realize how broken we are, we tend to be more forgiving of broken people who do broken things. When we realize that we still need salvation, then our hearts break for others who need that salvation. And that when our hope is in Christ, that there is no situation that can overwhelm and destroy and afflict us beyond repair because we were already there. And what did God do? Took us to an even greater place than we could ever anticipate or expect or deserve. And so as we close today, uh, I just want us to evaluate, you know, as a body, as a community of believers, uh, and also individually, man, where. Where is my heart in regards to this? Because sometimes, again, we come here and we hear these things and you know, we hear John 3.16 and we hear Philippians 4.13 and we hear those verses all the time. We, we make posters out of them. We make signs out of them. We have them all over our houses. We put them on coffee mugs. We do all that. Um, but one thing that we fail to do very, very often is to really stop and consider the enormous weight of what those truths have for us. And so my encouragement or my challenge to you this morning is just to consider, man, where, where 
are you in your own heart in relationship to God? When is the last time you can honestly say that in a prayer or, or a moment of your life, you said, I thirst for you like a parched land, that my soul is desperate for you, or that when you consider your sin, you say that I, God, my bones are broken. Cast me not from your presence. But again, we take this for granted way too often and way too easily. That the riches of his salvation are the only riches that we ever need. And we can say, you know, well, I don't need to go to church, you know. Oh, really, you don't need to? Can we just call that what it is? You don't want to. You don't feel like it. You need to. You need to. You know why? Because I need to. Because I need as much of God and God's people in my life as I can get, as often as I can get it. That nothing should take away from the experience that I have with God, and yet every day my relationship with God suffers because of something else. Just something, and it's not even the same thing all the time, it's just something else. And in Romans 1.17, when that verse says that it was given to us by faith for faith, the gospel drives a faith and a spiritual growth in our life that pales in comparison to anything else that we could drum up on our own. And so as you consider your life and just your, your week this past week or where you're at today, can you say, man, my heart is there. I yearn for him, that I long for him, that my sin breaks me. Or maybe you're in a situation like Mark said at the beginning of this service. You say, man, I'm in a storm. Can you honestly say you have hope because of who God is? Or do you have hope because you feel like you can fix it? Because that's not, guys, that's not, that's not hope. And so I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes this morning as uh, we begin just a time of invitation. And, and then again, the challenge is simple. Um, our, uh, our, our situation demands Uh, not only an initial submission to the gospel, but a continual submission to the gospel. And I believe we're continually submitted to something. Some of us, it's our schedule. Some of us, it's our kids. Some of us, it's our jobs. That we we are always being run somewhere by something. And so if we really stop and take a look back on just where we are at today, some of us need to be honest and say, man, I need to get some things straight but I can't recall a time in my life where my heart yearned and thirsted and longed for God's presence in my life. That I can't recall the last time that I did something wrong and it, bro- and it broke me, that it drove me to a point of desperation. And so the invitation, again, this morning is, is very simple. I mean, what priorities do you need to get in line in your life? Maybe you need to come forward today. I mean, our altar is going to be open as it is uh, every Sunday. Uh, and maybe you need to walk uh, down the aisle today and come down here uh, and just put, you know, your knee to the ground and say, God, I confess that my heart isn't where it needs to be with you. Maybe you need to say, God, I am overwhelmed by the anxieties and the demands of my life. I am being run around and I just feel railroaded, if I'm being honest. And I, and I need to focus. I need you and I need you, God, to make me want you more. So at this invitation time, I want to extend, again, you're going to have the opportunity as Mark sings Hosanna, which, by the way, uh, means 
to beg for deliverance. That's what that word means. If you look at the original Hebrew, it's not just like the word hallelujah where we're giving praise to God. It's, it's we're begging for deliverance. So if you need delivered from something in your life today, even if it's just distraction, I'd encourage you to come forward today and, and beg God during this time. God, deliver me from this because I can't bear it on my own. And God, deliver me from this because I have tried on my own. I can't get there. So I need you to get me there. Maybe there's someone that our heart breaks for and we need to bring their name to the altar today. Or maybe the verses we've read and the challenges that we've faced, you say, I'm kind of having a hard time processing all this and I just need to speak to someone. There's people over here uh, to your left uh, that would love to speak to you, pray with you, put an arm around you and encourage you this morning. And so as Mark sings, you can pray where you're seated. You can pray down front. You can pray with somebody over there, but for the love of the God who died to save you, pray. Because I know who I am. And I may not know who you are, but God does. There's something in you that needs fixed. Pray in desperation this morning during this time of invitation that God would bring about the things that we've talked about this morning in your life. Yeah. 